Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Uh, hi guys, this is uh, Pete from Podside Picnic. Uh, with us are, well, Connor's with us. Hey, Connor. Hey, man. All right. Uh, <laughs> also with us are uh, is the Sleezoys pod. I have uh, Josh Lewis and Jamie Miller with us. Uh, it's This is a really good pairing because for <laughs> about two years now, these guys have been focusing on genre films, cross-comparing them, exploring the films of the 20th century from like sort of the high market ones down to the straight slasher exploitation films. Guys, it's really good to have you on. We're happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, absolutely. And we we do something very similar to, well, I, I mean, I know you know what we are. We've been talking for a long time, but uh, I guess for the audience, the similarity is we do some very similar things to books that you do to movies. And that's what makes this such a good pairing for this, because we're doing I Am Legend. So uh, Perfect. B- brief summary for everybody listening. I Am Legend is a lot of things. Uh, it's a <laughs> bunch of movies it's a novel by Richard Matheson uh, and the basic idea I'm just gonna summarize the novel real quick if it's all right with everybody uh, sure. the basic idea is it's a vampire novel that is inverted in that you've got a guy who's basically the last human on earth and everybody else is a vampire and so he the 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 title of the novel is based on the idea that he is the exceptional one. He is the monster in the daytime. He is the legend, whereas all the vampires are the new normal. And that's there's a lot more going on in that book. It's an exceptional book. Uh, I recommend you read it. Uh, but uh, what we want to do is cross compare that novel, which is very dark to uh, a couple of movies based on it. And those movies are uh, the Will Smith vehicle, I Am Legend, and uh, the Omega Man, who who was the, it's the vehicle for, oh my God, what's his name? The gun guy, Charlton Heston. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I should have, I should have called him the uh, Planet of the Apes guy. It would have been cooler, but whatever. Yeah, he so, does seem to be like this uh, dystopian king kind of guy. I, yeah, because he no was also idea. in 1973's uh, Soylent Green. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. yeah we're, we're actually talking about Soylent Green in a different episode. That's, uh, it, it's, uh, so, like, you guys are the 20th century. We've been watching too many films, guys. Yes. How the hell did he end up in all these films? Do you have any idea what happened here? Well, honestly, it was Planet of the Apes. Yeah. That's all it took. Uh, Planet of the Apes was so huge, and the ending was so monumental to so many people that uh, the Omega Man and Soylent Green both came entirely out of that, where it was a sense of, like, 
They liked having this guy who was, you know, sort of like a leading man. He had a little bit of charm to him. He was a believable action star. And then putting him into this, you know, the science, the science fiction dystopias, especially with one being sort of like the last man on Earth. And to the, to the Omega Man's credit, like it is actually kind of fun for the first hour, half hour of that film to just watch him like driving sports cars around. And yeah. <laughs> unlike Will Smith and I Am Legend, Charles Nelson actually seems to kind of like being alone. He's like having a good time. He's like he's watching <laughs> yeah. Woodstock for like the 60th time, which is just a hilarious image watching him like thread Woodstock himself while yeah, holding his rifle. Yeah, and just like mouthing the words of uh, where it's just like everybody's peace and love together and oneness and connection. And then also, you know, like 10 minutes before that, we see him stop like abruptly in his vehicle just to shoot a window because he sees a figure. <laughs> and, 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 and at the time, you have no context for that. So you're just like, you know, the jazz music's going on. He's super happy. And then all of a sudden he just stops and like just violently shoots at a window for no reason. And you're like, oh, where did where did that come from? Well, there's this wonderful thing that happens there where you, you look at this guy and you're like, well, obviously he's crazy. And you start piecing together what's going on. It's like, well, maybe he isn't crazy. And then a little farther on, you're like, nope, he is actually crazy. <laughs> there's yeah. just a lot going on, too. Oh. Uh, one of the interesting things about that film thing you were just talking about where they were walking through uh, 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 Woods, well, he like he was mouthing the words to Woodstock is it didn't he do that? And it didn't Will Smith do that at I Am Legend, too. And it was a much worse film. <laughs> he did it to Shrek. It was Shrek. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Why you did know, that happen? Oh, my God. Do you know what? The Shrek thing was so, like, bizarre that I didn't even make the connection between the two with like the Omega man doing something a little more significant like Woodstock. Cause the Shrek thing seems so like just insignificant compared to what he was watching. Yeah. In I, the Omega I, man. I think that they were trying to get at the idea that he watched the movie a lot with his daughter daughter. Yeah. And they were trying to make a connection with he, he watched it so many times with his daughter and it was supposed to be this emotional thing. And to Will Smith's credit, like Will Smith plays it pretty well, Yeah, I but think it is a, a really, really silly concept, especially with where Shrek is and like I, the culture at this point. <laughs> I yeah. thought that like, yeah, I mean, to your point about him playing it well, to me, it was like, well, they just wanted to have Will Smith do that cool thing where he sort of like does the impression and does all the lines like perfectly beat by beat of both yeah. the donkey and Shrek, but like <laughs> deadpans it in a really sad way, which is. <laughs> yeah, because he's like on the verge of tears as he's doing this incredibly funny family film. Well, and the, and the section he was talking through was about the importance of having friends, which I thought was a little too on the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yes, sure. Yes, for, for the the last man on, on Earth, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, two people walk into his apartment. There's this big freak out thing, and he's like, it's good to have friends. What the? I, anyway, I, I, I thought it was actually kind of cool when we were looking at uh, Omega Man, because the idea is like this guy's a colonel. He's like a biological research monster. Mm -hmm. And like he finds himself emotionally identifying with all the people at Woodstock. And like that's that's the sign that things have gone to a camp meeting. Hell is that he's <laughs> that alone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, the. Uh the, the whole, like, it's mostly in the Omega Man, uh, but the whole, like, Jesus iconography stuff, is that in the book as well? No. Okay, because I was just, like, I, <laughs> I felt like uh, that was a bit on 
the nose. As yeah, well. they, they they invented it for the Omega Man, and if you okay. look it up, it's literally just like Charleston Heston and the director. Like they just like fell upon this image at one point, like where he gets hit with the javelin. Yeah, and then they had him pose in the fountain like Jesus, and they were like, "Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Just just put that in there." Because like I like you know the image is is fine. It's it's it's. It would oh, be him, powerful him bleeding into more the fountain, knowing stuff. that his blood is the cure, is like an interesting image. But yes, the the idea of him martyring himself, which they ended up using again for Will Smith in I Am Legend, they have him martyr himself in the theatrical cut of that film. Right, and, there's two different uh, versions, right? Yeah, and that is not at all the position of the book, because that's largely my issue with both these films. Is that there's a really powerful ending to Richard Matheson's story that involves a character realizing that the monsters, the vampires that he's been killing this entire time are actually more human than he realized and that he has been dehumanizing this entire society of people not realizing it. And it has a xenophobic message to it, um, especially with him realizing the, the, the actual I am legend line comes from the fact that he's like, holy shit, I've been killing these people so monstrously that they actually view me like how I viewed vampires and that I am going to become a myth to them now. I'm this evil figure to them. I'm scary. And like that is the realization he has in the last chapter of the novel. And neither of these films thought that that was an interesting thematic thing when it's like the key to the novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting, but it, it sounds like with I Am Legend that the director did want to have an ending that was sort of similar with a couple different rewrites. And then right. the studio caved and made him reshoot a different theatrical ending. And the theatrical ending of I Am Legend versus the director's cut ending like completely changes how that movie plays. Because isn't you. it like he realizes that the the girl that he's been experimenting on was that leader of the like infected. It, it was his wife or something like that. And well, like he and, actually realizes that. Well, yeah. And, and he gives her back to him. And instead of being this, you know, the, the whole time in they I am legend, they're like these other. really grotesque CG monsters and yeah. they're not really the best CG. So it kind of hinders it a little bit uh, with the performance by the monster. But if you do watch it, there is this moment where the, the alpha, albino vampire mutant character he actually when he gets handed the girl back will smith realizes that he was just trying to get the other mutant back because yeah it was it was his wife or it was you know and um he the monster actually tears up a little bit and then there's this great shot of will smith framed in the foreground and in the background you have all of the um photo images of all of the mutants that he has experimented on and killed and in that moment he realizes holy shit to these guys i'm just kidnapping them and performing like mad science experiments on them right and um that is sort of the ending of the will smith i am legend film and it's weird because they actually have they include the beats that build up to that moment but if you watch the theatrical cut version like those beats don't go anywhere he just ends yeah. up being like, they're they are true monsters. We'll never stop them. I gotta sacrifice myself to take them all out. And what's weird too <laughs> is that that scene, even in the cut where you know they end up doing the kind of bad ending, um, it shows the the leader of the infected like pushing his own people aside to get to Will, which would mm-hmm. imply some type of like emotion behind it, rather than just a pure you know I'm furious because I'm infected. It it it. it 
reads yeah, they, they, like they, there's that's something what I mean. there, like and they, then it just disappears completely. Yeah, because they left all the beats in to get there, which yeah. is just such an odd thing, because so there weird. there is that beat where he, like, stands out in the sun and screams yes. at him, which is, like, an illogical thing to do. Yeah. And Will Smith notes that as, a, like... Uh, that and he's I, just like yeah that's a really weird thing that he would do I wonder why he would do that and yeah. if you watch a theatrical cut you're like yeah why did he do that because instead you watch the- I think <laughs> they just wrap it up to like oh they're becoming so inhuman that they're going against their survival instincts and it's just not as interesting you know yeah he was like their brains are turning to cheese that's that's exactly it um, yeah. so can we talk about like uh, for the for the bad uh, it's getting complicated we've got four potential ending branches for this discussion now <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about the theatrical release I am I am legend ending uh, did anybody watch that can they talk about what that was yeah, that was that was the version that I watched. And then I went and watched the theatrical or the uh, director's cut ending on its own because the director, believe it or not, the theatrical ending, it really only takes over in the last three or four minutes of the film. It's around the time that yeah. the monster is in his lab. They've broken in and he breaks the glass when he breaks that glass and it turns into the butterfly symbol, which is a, a little much. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, uh, in the theatrical cut. That's when Will Smith goes, holy shit, they're going to break in. Nothing's going to stop them. So he sends the um, the woman and her child out of the house through the this sort of like uh, the, the back door there. And he hands them a vial of the blood from the cured mutant and says, take the cure. You this is what you were meant to do. You have to go and get this to, you know, the, the, the next human colony you can find and maybe you can do something with it. But I'm have to be here to kill all of these mutants. And he like blows <laughs> them all up with like a which they he has a grenade in his lab. And yeah. I was the whole time I was sitting there going like, why? In the laboratory experiment area, would you just have a grenade in a drawer? I was <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out because like all of his weapons just are upstairs. <laughs> but either way, he blows himself up with a grenade and blows them all up. And then it has this really fucking cheesy uh, ending where, you know, the 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 mom and the child get it to the human colony and she gets this voiceover where light up he's the like, darkness. He he persisted and he he is legend and his legend will go on because of his cure that is in his blood that he gave me. And I was like, it's such a perversion of why he says I am legend in the novel to be like, he is a legend because he did, uh, uh, he martyred himself in righteous violence against these mutants. Yeah. The other (laughs) thing is too. go ahead. I just want to say I would have been cool, um, much cooler with the ending where they get to this like bucolic survivors colony in Vermont if it had been led by Bernie Sanders. Like, <laughs> it is in Vermont, there, which like, is pretty fucking it's huge. Funny. He's a legend. <laughs> he's like, I want to thank Will Smith. <laughs> so I, I'd like I'd like to drive off the edge of the earth for a second. Okay, uh, what what all of this reminds me of is the book of Job. And and here's why. Um, So because I went to one of the, one of the 30,000 like heavy duty Lutheran schools and like hidden in the middle of the United States, I had to take a lot of like religious analysis classes. And one of the ones I took was about the book of Job. And the weird thing about it is like, it was written by about 12 guys. 
And what would happen is one person would write it. They'd say, okay, here's the finished version of the book of Job. And the next person would look at it and go, bullshit. And they would embed responses to the point that the last guy was trying to make. And so, like, throughout it, you can tell from the different writing styles. People, You know, one guy's like, well, this is what God wants and you need to suck it up. And the next guy's like, well, you know, the point is, how dare you question God? And then the next guy's like, well, you know, actually, God's being an asshole here. And they'd, like, like layer in these different arguments and it's presented to us as the same book. And I think it's sort of interesting that this set of movies in a book appears to be an argument with itself about what the point should be. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because like the the Omega Man, if we're talking about like and in terms of what each one does, especially in terms of tone, because both of them go wrong in the sense that they try to take Richard Matheson's very kind of quiet, intimate story and try to turn them into uh, blockbuster action films with a, made with a lot of money. I mean, Omega Man was an expensive film at the time that it came out uh, mm-hmm. post Planet of the Apes. And I Am Legend, uh, a hugely expensive film, like the kind of money that they spend on Marvel movies now is how much money that movie cost. Um, and when they originally were planning I Am Legend, I think they had Ridley Scott attached to it with an Arnold Schwarzenegger starring. And like he intended to make like almost a silent film. For like the first half of it he wanted to go like full almost uh adapting richard matheson kind of like blade runner style a little bit cool um so i the, love the, that yeah, yeah well and real. the bare bones of that are in i am legend like for a oh, 150 yeah. million dollar film like the first half of it is like really like just with will smith and it is moody and i mean uh, sure. it's shot by um peter jackson cinematographer andrew lesney who shot like lord of the rings and stuff That's like why it that still so, holds up pretty well I'd say yeah that, there's like yeah. a good sense of color there is some visual imagination to it especially i mean they spent five million dollars getting the brooklyn bridge uh <laughs> booked off <laughs> so oh, that yeah. they could have a completely empty shot of the bridge and everything so like they did a, a decent job like you know, and and Will Smith is a, sen- a sensitive enough performer that you do get a sense that they were making something more quiet and intimate. And then yeah, like the studio blockbusterisms parts. had to get in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like I found the loneliness that Will Smith was going through to be pretty compelling, actually. Like that scene where he uh, talks to the mannequin and he's just like, please talk to me because he's just so over the edge at that point. Like I thought that was that was pretty powerful. Like also there was something I, I wanted to mention. How do they how do they deal with uh, the um, the infected in the book compared to these movies? Because like with the Omega Man, they're more like people like they actually think and and <laughs> come up with plans and stuff. Whereas, yeah, obviously, like, in I Am Legend, they're just complete like zombie monster kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's actually what, really awesome that you asked because both movies do because the book in a really interesting way and which is, again, key to the story. It does both. Oh, yeah, okay. where where it actually has where from um, the main character, Robert Neville, the scientist's perspective in the book, he is dealing with like frothing vampire monsters and they are straight up vampires, which I, I'm neither film quite does. They, they take a lot of the vampire iconography out. But like in the book, he's straight up pulling like crosses out. He's got garlic. Oh. He's got mirrors at his place. Like <clears throat> so these are like dealing, legit vampires in a sense. Yes, he's dealing with like literal vampires, which is oh. a part of the story, because, again, vampires are this historical myth, right. which is what he's talking about and what what the vampires see him as but there's an interesting point where the uh the vampires are sort of zombie like in the 
in the novel version because actually they are reanimated corpses. Um, but about halfway through the story or three quarters of the way through the story, he finds a woman vampire um, who is infected, but isn't like crazy or frothing and trying to do violence or shouting his name in like these beastly sounds. He and he finds out that there are people who actually are infected who aren't reanimated, who they still have brain function and they still have they are actually they have found ways to like stop their symptoms and sort of marginally cure themselves in some ways. So does and then, the, uh, the like the loneliness factor of that, like since in the book, like for, for me, it was like with Will, I found his the, the how lonely he got was very understandable because there was no human interaction, whereas right. Heston, it was like he it felt like he didn't take it as seriously in, on that level, just because even though they were crazy and trying to kill him, they were kind of people, you know? Yeah, like but the wasn't telephone. As- <laughs> yeah. Remember the telephone? Wait, well, no. Like, I, what telephone? At the very beginning when he's oh, driving yeah. around. Yeah, he, he's, I do he's, remember now. He, I mean, and it's it's the only place where he really loses his crap. Like, he's, yeah, you're right. He's he's driving around and he he sees the the dead bank robbers and he has a good chuckle about that. And he sees all the payphones ringing and he's like, "This can't be real!" Da 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 da. And <laughs> right. like runs off and like that's his one moment where like okay, sure he talks to statues and inanimate objects and stuff, but it. It sort of seems like wry humor. Yes. Like that was the one time where he was just like completely off his gourd. Right. Whereas Will is like going like I found it interesting. Like Will has this thing where he sets up a day for himself. Like he actually goes to a video store to fake out rate renting out something. You know, he talks to the the cashier as if he's a person. He has a name. He asks asks what the the new girl's name is, you know, that kind of thing. So he's. He's trying to create this kind of life, whereas Heston feels more like he's just uh, just kind of driving around and, I don't know, doing his own thing. It's, yeah, it's well, because because Heston doesn't play it with like, I'm sad and lonely and right. and this and I feel alienated. And he, he plays it like, isn't it kind of sick that like I have this place all to myself? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of his, his attitude uh, towards it. And when I'm he picks sorry. up that giant sniper rifle, that shit was <laughs> fucking nuts, man. Well, they, yeah, they they both were serious about the sniper rifles. Do you remember that moment of transcendent horniness from Heston when he starts looking, like, feeling up that mannequin with his eyes? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dude, he's, he's, he's just horny and violent, because even when he kills the mutants... He actually gets uh, his the way that he kills the mutants is actually a little bit closer to like the ruthlessness with which he kills the mutants in uh, in the novel where it's like straight up like action exploitation film. He's got like a machine gun and they got like red paint, like blood squibs as he's like gunning them down and having a great time. Oh, yeah. It sounds like a blast. We have to classify Omega Man as like 1971. It's a great um, sort of beginning of the sexual revolution uh, movie. It's all about like how great it is to be liberated from domesticity. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And it is sort of interesting because they they do. They made a big deal of uh, out of it because it is one of the very first interracial kisses that appeared in a in a film. And they do have where they 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 incorporate um, 
the they said in the screenwriting that they were like, you know, the civil rights era happened and the black power movement was happening. And we kind of wanted to throw that into the film a little bit. And it's it's not in the story and it's not in <laughs> I Am Legend, obviously, of course. But it, it's interesting in here because the way that they build the survivors group is kind of like this diverse coalition of people who aren't infected yet. And then uh, they kind of like share uh, blood in order to uh, create this, maybe like the survival of this diverse group of survivors. Whereas when you become infected, you become like this like albino creature um, that sort of adheres to this kind of like anti art, anti diversity kind of group. That wants to like tear down any remnant of the old world in any capacity, yeah. which is like sort of an interesting idea that I think they accidentally happened upon yeah, by just wanting yeah. to incorporate sort of. I, uh, I thought it was going to get a little deeper into that, but they do kind of end up just making Heston the, you know, the Jesus Christ character again. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to admit, uh like if we're talking about the the realism of the disease, I am legend the movie wins hands down because at least it appears to be a disease of some kind. And yeah. then I am legend the book, okay, it does like I don't buy that a disease could actually bring somebody back from the dead, but what the hell? Like like it's a horror <laughs> book, what are you going to do? <laughs> But sure. I am legend. I do not understand how you get infected with the disease and it immediately makes you want to put on a black glittery robe. Yeah. Like <laughs> that was something that too. makes sense. Yeah. They're very, uh, very coordinated for infected people. Yeah. Very articulate cult of uh, al albino society people. <laughs> Speaking and they, they, they have great lines where they, they talk about the infection as, as the punishment and they say that they gained grace through it. And they, they talk about how Heston, um, because he, you know, he's living in the old world where he, you know, he has a big house and he goes and watches movies and he, he wants to spend money. Uh, at, at one point, he comes across uh, guys who died like mid robbery, uh, oh, <laughs> which yeah. is like kind yeah. of a funny image. And either way, they're basically they even begrudge like bankers and they talk about, you know, I guess they're trying to refer to like the capitalist world that ruined everything. And that's why we were punished and we have been turned into these things. And it's just so interesting that they have you up front, see this like group of kind of like articulate cultists as this. Um, because again, the novel uh, doesn't have, uh, doesn't reveal the society until about three quarters of the way through it. And then the main character goes, holy shit, these like vampire monsters. I've been just ruthlessly murdering for this entire story actually some of them might not have been these reanimated corpses some of them might have been like mm. this actual society of infected people who have actually limited their symptoms and who are re like trying to rebuild the you know the old world they don't have like this anti-old world view like they're actually just trying to like live peacefully and trying to reestablish um you know uh society in in that way uh but so it, it's interesting that the omega man gets that part wrong so like there's no there's no transition. There's no realization on Heston's part other than yeah. damn right. I shouldn't have helped those infected. They're fucking crazy because they have like the <laughs> young boy who he cures has like the good heart and is like, let's take it over to them and maybe they'll, you know, they'll cure themselves and we'll all live happily. And then they fucking like string him up and just execute kill him, him yeah, just kill which him. is smash cut to Heston, like Indiana Jones style, like riding a fucking car through their base, yeah, which like, gives him every excuse down. to start being Mr. Violent. 
Alan Heston again. Oh, yeah. And it's so goddamn funny. I mean, he even gets the bit where he comes up to the, the kid and he sees the kid strung up and he's like, oh, my God, like Planet of the Apes and Soylent <laughs> yeah. Green style when he has the big realization. Just there is no realization for his character. He's just like the people I thought were monsters. Turns out they were monsters. I yeah. gotta kill them. I was <laughs> waiting for a twist, I, I will say. <laughs> well, I mean, it, like, the complaints of the, the the family, the crazy people, like, facially are correct. I mean, Charlton right. Heston is a germ warfare specialist. Yes. There's a great <laughs> argument to be made that all of this shit is his fault. <laughs> And just, yeah, because they, they, they talk about the idea of like it, it coming from nuclear holocaust and like Cold War anxieties and stuff. And Heston absolutely would have been part of that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, one of the nice things about having having guys who talk about film all the time in here is like I did. I didn't have to do some of my homework here. I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about putting some of this in context. Uh, so. One of the things that's interesting to me about the book and the first film and the second film is that they all came in separate eras of film filmmaking with different world politics going on, which I think really changed the message. So, like, mm -hmm. you could you could make the argument that I Am Legend, the book, happened during the uh, sort of the, the Cold War Red Scare era. And you look at I Am Legend and, like, for God's sakes, they refer to the family. It's like immediately pours the Manson murders and you've got the tail end yep. of the Cold War wherever and yeah. thinks they're about to be exterminated. And then yeah. finally you have sort of the terrorism end of history, I Am Legend. Could you guys talk about that a little bit? Like what, where these fit in history? I'm really putting you on the spot. So if you just say <laughs> no, it would be really funny and I'd keep it in. No, I, I, I think that you're you're pretty much right because the, the book came out uh, in like the early 50s or like 53, 54 or something around there. Mm -hmm. um, and he definitely had some kind of uh, post-war anxieties going on in that film, um, especially about the way that, um, you know, we are accustomed to dishing out violence to um, people based on kind of like our conceived images of people um, in particular. And um Unfortunately, neither one, as we've discussed, really kind of like takes that head on. I am legend. They seem to have the idea in there with the Will Smith one, um, but they kind of like backed out of it at the last minute. The studio was like, yeah, that's too controversial, even though like it this book is so well received and it was well received in the goddamn 50s. Um, yeah. and, 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 and one thing that you guys might find really interesting, actually, is that um, the novel would actually go on and what I think is maybe the most faithful adaptation of this story is actually George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which was directly inspired by this story. Oh, wow. Uh, from 1968. And actually, it's probably the closest in messaging um, to what the novel was trying to accomplish, because if you guys um, remember the really famous ending to Night of the Living Dead, um, it has the lone... Uh, African-American survivor of a zombie apocalypse situation where he was the guy trying to be the most helpful. He was the guy trying to organize because, um, you know, coming out uh, around the time of civil rights and Vietnam uh, war, um, the idea of that was that this African-American man had seen all of this coming, that he was prepared. Um, and so the idea was that he would 
you know, fend off this zombie apocalypse. He would try to help everyone. Everyone kind of gets killed anyway, but he survives and he makes it to the end. And then he is killed outright brutally yeah. by the established uh, police state. Yeah, that's um, that has been formed ever. to counter the zombies. Yeah, we talked about it on the show. And um, so the idea is that it's like this violent sickness kind of like intrudes in on America and it fuels its its anxieties. Um, and it's a really unflinching portrait of like the American psyche at that time. Um, and having this really twist ending where you realize, holy crap, you know, a zombie apocalypse is fucking scary, but also the human reaction to a zombie apocalypse would be fucking scary. And this idea of this sort of like militia being formed and this military state being formed where they are going to just kill this black guy because they think he might be a zombie without even like checking. <laughs> yeah, I do like how they they kind of dive into a little bit of like the military stuff in uh, in I Am Legend. Like there's a good scene where. Uh, a woman, uh, actually it's, it's Will's wife, uh, who's later, later killed in that helicopter crash. But, um, she, she gets, uh, scanned and it fails and then Will forces them to do it again. And the only reason he can do that is because he has the power being a general from the military and then it works the second time. So it implies too that how like, many people exactly. were like quarantined who like e- weren't actually infected. Exactly. <laughs> Which would then lead those people to become infected. So it's just multiplying the, you know, the, the catastrophe. Um, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. They, they, of course they briefly dive into all these things. They don't really, uh, hone in on one thing like that, but it's, it's yeah. Well, Cause I am legend co- takes it in the direction of being, uh, coming out in the, uh, mid to late two thousands coming out after, uh, SARS. Right. Um, they took, a, they took on a viral infection idea. Yeah. It was like, because, because that was really fucking scary to people at the time. Yeah. They, they talked about that. They, they created this virus in order to fight, fend off cancer. Cause they were talking about, you know, viruses spread and we, we typically think of viruses as bad, but what if we generated a virus that could spread around to people it's and it did something too, good? Cause like, they use the metaphor. Uh, it's like if you have a, uh, an insane person just driving, you know, full speed down a highway, what they're doing now is they're replacing that insane person with a cop. And those are yes. actually like th- that's the metaphor they use. So it is interesting that they that they choose to to use the metaphor of like state authority to replace the I don't know I guess the insane uh, pilot that was at the helm before. Well, that's very funny to me because like the reaction I had when I saw it like yesterday is very different from the reaction I had in two thousand nine. Yeah, <laughs> me too. It's like you know, take take a very dangerous driver in a fast car and replace him with a cop, and then what happens? And it's like, well, more <laughs> bullshit. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah, just different bullshit. <laughs> just, just just take them off the road. Take them all off the road. Yeah, just <laughs> t- put the car off the fucking road, guys. Yeah. <laughs> what, what if we take all the cops and replace them with? Tra- Trains. Wouldn't that be better? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's something I'd like to do. I know we're kind of one winding down here. I'd kind of like to go around because I know that. Uh, well, I don't. We've been going through Vampire Month at at Podside Picnic, and we're signed, kind of winding down from this. But this is a good good capstone moment. Connor, could you talk a little bit about uh, your your favorite types of vampires that you've encountered through this? Where you stand on that and Maybe you guys can talk a little bit about what what vampires in film appeal to you. For sure. Oh, my favorite vampires uh, that I encountered across Vampire Month or in these adaptations. 
Um, I, I, you, you limit a question by nailing it down like that. So go the direction <laughs> I, you want. I, I don't mean to contain your creative brilliance, there, Pete. Um, <laughs> uh, Ouch! <laughs> I, you know, I, I struggle with, um, yeah, like I, I struggled with the Will Smith adaptation be- because essentially the Will Smith adaptation is a zombie movie where they can't come out in sunlight. So it's just a generic. Otherwise, it's really interesting, and I liked the. I loved the first half of the Will Smith movie. It made me really nostalgic for when big budget blockbusters made an effort on the level of like, let's come up with an interesting scene where he's talking to mannequins. Um, and yeah. Oh great. yeah, and if, if if they didn't cave to some of those like blockbuster actionisms and stuff, and some of the more stupid stuff that the studio you know kind of hindered because they just didn't like that it was sadder or somberer than they wanted it to be, um, you know, it, it would have been like if they just released the uh, director's cut ending. Even oh, yeah. I think it might have been respected a little bit more than it was, but a lot of people really were adverse to the ending. And also, the director filmed versions of the monsters that weren't CG. And the studio made them redo these like CG monsters in a really short say, amount of time, which is why oh, they wow. don't look super great. I, yeah, I was going to say I thought it again was, and again, man. Yeah, yeah I thought and, the practical effect would have been way better with this because it's not like they're super different from humans. They just have like slightly bigger mouths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's interesting because before you see them, they're really fucking scary. Like that's oh, my, yeah. what the, that's the scariest scene in the in film the to dark me. Building yeah. And, and when he's strategically covering up the light yeah. and then shining it quickly so he can see where he's going. And then when he shines it quickly on like a huddle of them, all just like breathing, breathing and eating something, oh, you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. It's very just like animalistic and a kind of a, like a hive mind thing. It's, yeah, yeah, but it, but as soon as he's trying to like revengefully run them over with his car, you're kind of like, this just looks silly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit. I and mean, also, I, I found it funny that they like these these infected creatures. They're saying that they get more animalistic, and yet they have their pants intact the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it would have been more effective if they were running around nude. That's all. I'm yeah, saying. you wanted some mutant <laughs> peen. Yeah, I needed yeah. some nude infected. Nobody <laughs> wants rabies stick, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but anyway, Connor, we interrupted you. Continue. No, you're good. I, I think you kind of nailed it, which is that like they did not explore any of the interesting dimensions or possibilities of their own premise in that movie, and that was one of its major shortcomings. And just yeah. to go back to Pete's original question, what's my favorite vampire we've encountered this month? I, I, I am working on a project. As I don't know if you guys have heard me say this on the show, but I'm working on a vampire project right now, and I really want to revive some of the cool possibilities of vampires that I think have kind of gone by the wayside in the era of movies like I am legend or of the popularity of twilight. And I think we need to get back to some interesting vampires. And on that note, I think by far the coolest screen vampires of the 21st century is, uh, Ellie and let the right one in. Ooh, nice. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah I like that one a lot. Uh, if, if, if you guys want any vampire recommendations from us, I have actually two. Uh, one is um, from 1995, uh, Abel Ferreira, the New York-based uh, kind of like uh, indie slash frequently exploitation filmmaker. He did like films like The Driller Killer and Miss 45, uh, these really like uh, almost uh, gritty psychosexual yeah, New York films. Gritty. He did one called The Addiction, which is actually about a doctoral student uh who gets infected and then starts looking into like the philosophical elements of like a history of vampires and like nocturnal comrades and stuff like that which is like really interesting modern take on vampires 
And then in the more exploitation realm, something that we actually covered on our show that we loved a lot, um, which is a hammer horror uh, 70s vampire film called uh, Captain Kronos Vampire (laughs) Hunter, which is like a a goddamn uh, swashbuckling vampire film (laughs) where like straight up it's like old timey um, like sword fighting and shit. But he's taking down a vampire infection and like this family of like rich people who are sucking out the blood of like the small town in order to like stay alive and stuff like that. So if you want like a 70s exploitation kind of goofy swashbuckling adventure film, but about a vampire hunter, that was one that we had a lot of fun talking about. That sounds cool. Wow. I always uh, I always like I mean, there's there's plenty of different uh types that I, that I do enjoy, but one that's, that's kind of stuck with me is, uh, I, I personally love the blade series, at least like yes. the first two. And it's just, yes. there's something about these, like, like super stylized, cool club going vampires that I actually enjoy. Like the underground scene where they have like the, the, the shower go off and it's just them dancing to EDM and blood and all that kind of stuff. I, uh, and then like, you know, you got Wesley's, uh, uh, Wesley Snipes suplexing a guy into glass and stuff like that. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll personally go with the uh, the stylized club going suplex giving vampires <laughs> of the 21st century. That, that's <laughs> definitely a better version of that than the Underworld films, which are also <laughs> leather clad. Like yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so if you if you guys want to give yourself a treat, we'll play it as the outro music for this episode. But go go type Voodoo and Serrano blood into google and you'll get you'll get the the blood is pumping video that you're talking about oh sweet i i listen to it at work when i'm really annoyed (laughs) with everybody um (laughs) so um i this is probably uh does anyone have final thoughts before like we should really talk about what you guys do on your show i mean there's a basic courtesy for you (laughs) well thank you no it's all it's it's all good like i i think we we covered most of it like like it's a really everyone should if they're going to get anything out of this they should go read the novel it's pretty short it's only like 150 pages yeah I've it's a really that. solid novel and it again it inspired george a romero's night of the living dead which is one yeah. of the best horror films of all time and yeah. like that's the level that this story should be operating on and basically none of the it. adaptations there's actually a third adaptation we're not even talking about which oh, is really? the last man on earth starring vincent price vincent price yes yeah oh, and, nice. and that was the one that that uh richard matheson actually helped create he, he had direct involvement in that version it's a shame it was such a turd yeah. oh is it bad yeah like none of, none of them really end up working and 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 it's because none of them really get that the there is like a a messaging to the novel that is really emotionally powerful um, and really in tune with the subjective point of view of a character. And like that is always like when we talk about movies on our show, like those are the movies that impact us the most for the most part. Um, So like there is like an all timer movie that could be made out of this story. And currently none of them do it. A lot of them kind of just take the current anxieties of the time and make a story about a guy who is the last man around and they're like isn't that sort of interesting and i'm like well yeah but there's more 
stuff that you can get into when you do that you know there's it it needs to go further it needs to it it feels like they don't want to complicate the lead character for some reason which is the whole crux of the thing so it's so weird yeah exactly like I really wish that that Ridley Scott version ended up being done because the Ridley Scott version which you can feel the skeleton of inside I Am Legend all of the stuff that they did that is really awesome about the Will Smith version like him being alone and kind of like the moody intimacy of him just the process of his daily survival and how he stays sane will smith talked about how like he straight up like talked with people who were in solitary confinement and people who were quarantined to like kind of get an idea of how they felt so like that Mm -hmm. stuff that they pulled was straight from ridley scott's original draft that they were developing in the 90s okay Uh, alternate pitch though okay okay i am legend a roger corman jam Hell yeah. I could see it. I, I could see yeah. it. I, I, I could definitely well, I could, watch that. I would go either direction. It's like I would like this film to be like much better or much worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I was going to say, For interestingly sure. enough, we actually have an episode coming out soon where we just did Roger Corman directed X, the man with the X-ray eyes. Yeah. yeah. From 1963, which oh, is a good, yeah. one. good with one. The, with the buildings. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, we, we paired that with the Invisible Man for our upcoming Patreon episode that we're doing as, like, mad scientists experimenting on themselves. And, like, X the Man with the X-Ray Eyes, like, I'm thinking about, like, that almost apocalyptic ending that it has where, like, yeah. he he gets this X-Ray vision and he starts using it first on, like, seeing through women's clothes. He's like, this is fucking great. And then eventually he starts seeing, like, the cosmic God's reality eye. of his <laughs> insignificance and being, like, he's looking at skyscrapers and being, like, metal fingers protruding through the ground like a spider's legs and like and like, like holy shit dude. and like like he starts seeing cosmic brain level shit and like the ending is him going to a church and them saying you know you are seeing more than you should be you are you are seeing sin you are seeing this and he's like i'm seeing emptiness and they tell him straight up that yeah. god's message when you are seeing this is to black out thine eye so he fucking rips his own fucking eyes out um to like not see anymore it and i'm thinking the best solution yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and like that actually tonally is closer to the ending of uh, the I Am Legend story when he uh, takes the suicide pills that they give him and looks out at this herd of vampires that he usually he thought of as like these monsters and is looking at them being like they think of me as like this evil person. Um, and it, it does have this sense of like a character, um, you know, it, it really needs that realization at the end to send it home. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Like they, they really do need to like just do this film again. It. And I don't think they, that they will, even though the I am legend film was a huge box office success. Actually, it's just because they theatrically, they went with the, the worst ending and nobody liked the ending of the film. Even people who hadn't read the story, they were like, what, what is that? <laughs> well, yeah. Cause this is once again, like they're, they're leading up, even the way that he talks with his ego and stuff is kind of like, I'm going to be the guy I'm going to fix this. I'm going to save the whole planet. You know, like that's his whole <laughs> thing is that he's one man and he's going to do it. And then, so it, it would naturally lead to that thing where he realizes that, you know, the leader is doing a similar thing that he's doing and blah, blah, blah. But it just, they just don't do it. And it's so weird that you see all the the signs beforehand. Hell yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, can we, uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, what projects you have going? Well, the, as long as you've got our audience, uh, what would, uh, what would you like them to check out? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you guys if you guys like uh, genre movies or exploitation movies, we talk about all kinds of horror, action, and sci-fi over at our podcast, Sleezoids. Uh, we release uh, episodes with guests for free every two weeks, and then on our off weeks, we drop bonus episodes on on our Patreon. Yeah, and uh, oh, we do double we features do. every week where we're talking about. I mean, like recently, we've done episodes on like Australian road movies, like uh, yeah. Road Games and Stone. We've done like we we did some science fiction recently where we did uh, Soylent Green and a, a Boy and His dog do you guys like a boy and his dog because that I movie had a boy and his dog that <laughs> movie had like our brains leaking out of our ears because yeah. talk about a talk about a, a movie that follows a protagonist that you just fucking are repulsed by yeah um because he is an unrepentant rapist yeah and you're meant to sort of identify with him throughout the film in ways that feel really icky and really skeezy and then you get into an underground clown cult <laughs> society that's trying to like bring back like waspy 1950s Americana Man, I gotta through like that a, movie. yeah it's fucking insane it's nuts so we had a great time talking about that but even re- more recently we've done like John Carpenter's The Fog and Gary Sherman's Dead and Buried with great. like small town horror and stuff like that so if anything yeah. like that interests you over at uh, Sleezoids that's where we talk about all all that kind of stuff yeah. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that was fun. It's been great, guys.